From the Financial Times in London, I'm James Wilson and this is FT News. Switzerland this weekend held a referendum on corporate tax reform. Its attempts to overhaul its corporate tax regime suffered a bit of a setback. Voters have decisively rejected the reform, which was meant to bring corporate tax in Switzerland into line with international standards. The government wanted changes that would keep corporate tax rates in Switzerland competitive while abolishing special treatment given to many multinational companies. So what happens now in Switzerland? With me to discuss the issue are, down the line from Switzerland, our Zurich correspondent, Ralph Atkins, and with me in the studio, Vanessa Holder, an FT journalist who writes extensively on tax affairs. Ralph, I'll come to you first. Can you just fill out a little bit for our listeners what exactly this referendum was all about? It was about a package that had been in discussion for at least five years. Essentially, Switzerland wants to bring itself into line with international standards. It realises the practices of the past can no longer be pursued because they face retaliation from other countries or against companies based here. Um, What they wanted to do, though, of course, was to keep their attractiveness as a low tax base for big multinationals that have made the country so wealthy. So what they were trying to do was to introduce reliefs and tax rates that are internationally acceptable and abolish the special status that they had given to multinationals. It was a very complicated package, which is maybe one reason why they were unable to convince voters to support it. And indeed, and a bit of history perhaps helps there. You, you know, we all think of Switzerland, or many of us think of Switzerland, as a, a country that has made a, a living off competitive tax rates. How is it that multinational companies have enjoyed a sort of special tax status in Switzerland, Ralph? Well, basically, they were given special status, which essentially meant that they were allowed to pay very low rates, or in some cases, um, no tax at all. This was obviously seen as sort of unfair competition, damaging practices by other countries, which is what they tried to abolish. But rather than raising taxes up to the general rate for everyone, the idea of these reforms, if they had been accepted, would have been to lower the general rates for everyone. So all companies in Switzerland, whether they were multinationals or domestic companies, would have paid the same low rates. Of course, that would have created huge shortfalls, though, in the budgets of the cantons, which essentially raise these corporate taxes. Federal government compensated a bit, but the fear of the opponents was essentially this was far too generous to business. It would lead to big shortfalls in Canton budgets, which would hit public services. Yes, it's interesting. You'd have thought people would be all for lower taxes, but it seems in this case Swiss voters were balancing the need to keep uh, companies happy and to provide jobs with their own public services and the, and the money that would fund those. Yes, it was a very multifaceted debate. In fact, the opposition came essentially from the, the left wing, from the Social Democrats and the Greens, which don't usually have a majority amongst the Swiss population, the voters. But it was a complicated package with all sorts of new reliefs for R&D patent boxes, all these sort of complicated terminology that I think basically made people very distrustful. And this is why in our report, we've talked a little bit about this sort of anti-establishment wave reaching Switzerland, because I think basically the voters did not trust the government, which is a little unusual in Switzerland. So, Vanessa, perhaps I could bring you in at this point to just explain why it is that the rest of the world should care really about what rate Switzerland chooses for its taxes. Why why is uh, Switzerland so much in the eye of the rest of the world? Well, two reasons, really. It's the issues raised by the Swiss debate are also playing out in other parts of the world. And also, Switzerland is a particularly visible example 
of the kind of preferential treatment that you've described. And for about a decade, Brussels has been uh, putting pressure on Switzerland. And more recently, the G20, with what's called the BEPS initiative, that stands for Base Erosion and Profit Shifting, has also been trying to come down hard on countries that offer preferential regimes. And this all plays out in a sort of bigger picture, which is that... uh, Corporate tax revenues, by and large, are falling. Companies now pay more in Social Security's contributions than they do on their profits. And the shortfall, in many cases, is being picked up by ordinary taxpayers. So it's part of a sort of global shift on on the corporate tax base. What international pressure has been applied to Switzerland then by the likes of the G20? Has Switzerland had its arm twisted to sign up to these initiatives? Or has it seen really which way the wind has been blowing on these matters? I think Switzerland's very much seen which way the wind is blowing. And it's not just on corporate tax, it's also been on bank secrecy. Similar set of pressures and it decided to go with the flow and give up something which had been a very important part of its banking industry for many years. So you think Switzerland's really just having to come into line now with international best practice, if you will, on on a range of issues? That's right. And it's not alone. Uh, The change is going on all over the place. The UK even had to change some aspects of its tax system. Luxembourg's another example. And companies do respond to these changes, the changing rules. We are seeing a lot of restructuring and we're seeing in some cases companies decide to move their base. So this was Switzerland's attempt to sort of uh, square the circle and to acknowledge those international pressures while keeping the tax base sufficient, Ralph. That's been now rejected by the voters by, by a surprisingly large margin. I think 60% was the, was the referendum vote against these measures. What happens now? How does Switzerland proceed from here? Well, basically, it's back to the drawing board for the government. They have to now find a new package that will have a better chance of being approved basically means bringing some of the many of the objections uh, of their opponents, taking them into account, uh, readjusting it. There will be a cons- another consultation period. Things always move quite slowly in, in Switzerland because it's a very consensus-based decision-making system. The government hopes to have a proposal uh, ready by the end of the year. Then there will be parliamentary approvals, discussions with the canton, discussions about implementation, and some point will come back for a, another referendum. But the government has already given up any hope of meeting its promises that it would abolish this special status for multinationals by uh, beginning of 2019. They've said that there's no chance they're going to achieve that deadline now. So the danger is that, of course, other countries start to take retaliatory action, especially if they don't make any progress on their new proposals either. And Indeed. And, and has there been already any international reaction today? Uh, well, yes. The Commission in Brussels has said they're very disappointed, unsurprisingly, and they're going to consult with EU members to see what uh, steps come next. So there's a clear threat of possible retaliatory action there. Uh, having said that, the EU obviously has an awful lot of issues on its plate. Whether Switzerland's going to be such a big theme for them in the next year or so, don't know, but it's worrisome, obviously, for Switzerland, but also for companies here who who, who don't know what the situation is going to be, you know, whether they will get uh, face retaliatory action by other countries or not. And I think that's what um, really worries Bear, and this uh, insecurity and uncertainty about the legal framework, about the future tax regime. It's not very Swiss. If there's one thing that companies want, it's it's certainty. Absolutely. Yes, I, and, and the government's admitted that they expect companies will now leave Vanessa, if I could just come back to you, it seems as though in the long term something unintended perhaps might go on here, which is that actually this might add to competition on tax rates and it might have this reverse effect to perhaps what the Swiss government intended. As a general point, I think that's absolutely right. 
by making it harder for countries to compete on exemptions and so forth, it's actually made it more likely that countries will compete on rates. And rate cutting's been a big thing for decades. You know, it's uh, come down from nearly 50% in 1983 to below 30% now. And after the financial crisis, this slowed a bit. But the OECD says the most recent signs are it's picking up again. And I wonder if just extending beyond Switzerland for just one second, whether there's any lessons for the UK in its Brexit negotiations that perhaps nations don't really have the flexibility on tax uh, that they might want and that even countries that are outside the EU have to cleave quite closely to what Brussels demands. Indeed, yes. And uh, the UK has played a very big role in creating these new international tax rules and so I think it's very mindful that it's going to have to play by the rules of the game. Finally back to you Ralph, it's, it's, uh, it seems like this is one of those Swiss referenda that, that is going to have an international impact. We just have to wait now and see what, what the burn comes back with in terms of the, the new shape they give to the proposals. Absolutely. I, I mean, the final point to make is perhaps it has really tested the principle of direct democracy, whether voters really can be asked to decide on, on really quite complicated and nuanced um, issues such as this corporate tax regime. Great. Well, many thanks for joining us today. Ralph Atkins, our Switzerland correspondent in Zurich, and Vanessa Holder in the studio with me. I'm James Wilson, Financial Times in London. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.